Hello and welcome to The Witch Hut. I'm your host, Chelsea Martinez, and I hope you're having a magical day filled with as many mongooses as you prefer. As a quick aside, it's a pretty warm day, so you might hear my air conditioner kick on. I should be able to edit all that out, but if I can't, well, then I guess you'll get the ambiance of a hot day here in the Bay Area. We have some planets in retrograde right now, and I am so, so, so sleepy. Pluto is in retrograde, which is actually a very welcome time for clearing away some old emotional cobwebs so you can proceed with living the life you want to live. Taking your time and facing uncomfortable truths in the name of personal growth is emphasized during Pluto retrograde, which will be ongoing until October 8th. Mercury is also in the pre-shadow phase and will turn retro on May 10th, so that will support you in taking your time and working through whatever it is you need to work through in order to continue to grow. I know that retrogrades have a very scary reputation, but they aren't bad. They're just a necessary part of the ebb and flow of life. I had high hopes for Beltane, and although I definitely didn't have a bad time, I also didn't really get to do what I wanted. The lead-up was great. I attended a magical market on the 29th, then on the 30th, we had a black moon and a lunar eclipse, and I attended a virtual token tarot event, and then on May Day itself, well, I did some spring cleaning and fell asleep on my couch for several hours. It was that really good nap sleep because I had cleaned and then I had a shower and the room wasn't cold, but my skin kind of was. I was under my skylight and my fan has this air sweep setting that has the same kind of rhythm as ocean waves, and I just couldn't keep my eyes open. Before I continue on with the rest of the episode, I want to say that a few hours ago, as of the time I'm writing this, it was leaked that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade, and I don't have words, but I would like to share something that Shout Your Abortion over on Instagram posted. We have zero faith in the Supreme Court to protect our 50-year-old constitutional right to abortion, but beyond that, we reject the idea that they ever had the moral authority to deny us our inexorable right to bodily autonomy. Make all the ludicrous drafts and wear all the stupid robes you want. We will never stop having abortions, and we will never stop working to destroy the systems that criminalize the most vulnerable among us. Shout Your Abortion also shares some really excellent resources, including Plan C pills, which can help you find abortion pills through the mail. You can also check out the Abortion Care Network at abortioncarenetwork.org to find independent, community-based abortion care providers, or call the National Abortion Federation at 1-800-772-9100, or find their website at prochoice.org. I can personally vouch for Planned Parenthood, although I know that's not an option for everyone, as Planned Parenthood is sadly underfunded and seriously harmed by anti-choice legislation, since they do a lot more than provide abortions. The Bridget Alliance is an organization that arranges travel, funds, and care for people who have to travel long distances for abortion, and you can find them at their website, BridgetAlliance.org. You can also check out the Anti-Network subreddit on Reddit, both to ask for help and offer help if that's something you're able to do. If you're feeling scared, threatened, or angry right now, well, so am I, and I'm never going to stop fighting for you, for myself, and alongside you. I'm begging you to please, please, please vote in midterms, and please always vote in your local elections. You might feel relatively safe right now, but you shouldn't. 
I know that here in California and in some other states as well, there are proposals to amend the state's constitution to enshrine reproductive rights. But if we aren't making sure to elect officials who will protect our rights, all of that can be lost very quickly. You can register to vote at vote.gov if you haven't done that already. Since I've been thinking about adding more paranormal content, I've been remembering some of my own experiences, and I felt inspired to share this one in particular. I wrote down this account right after it happened, and what follows is basically that journal entry, lightly edited to make sense as part of this podcast. I am intentionally not saying exactly where it was, which is a thing I've recently learned not to do in order to help protect beautiful natural places from becoming overrun with tourists but I will say that it was somewhere in the Santa Cruz Mountains. My husband Sean and I were driving through the mountains, and at one point I saw what looked exactly like a smallish, moss-covered tower by the road. I see nature spirits pretty often, but this one seemed different. It seemed so solid that although I knew there was virtually no way I was looking at an actual tower, because who would have built it long enough ago for it to be so mossy and ancient-looking now, I could not take my eyes off of it. I felt like I had to see it slip away. The funny thing is, usually when I see a spirit, at some point the perspective changes and there's a moment where I can see the real object and still feel the spirit of whatever inhabited it. The closer we got to the tower, the more solid it seemed until when we were right in front of it, it was like all the pieces were still there, only now they weren't held together anymore. I was marveling at this when suddenly Sean said, that's wild. I asked him what he meant and he said, I don't know if my eyes are playing tricks on me or what, but back there, I could have sworn I saw some kind of an entrance to something. It looked like a tower. I told him that I saw it too, as I hadn't said anything while I was looking at it, and then we compared notes. We both saw a moss-covered tower with a round opening. He thought it was 100% real and someone built it just for fun until suddenly it wasn't there. That's how solid it was. And we both felt like it was home to something. I'm not sure what it was, but he later saw another opening that seemed uninviting, which is interesting since he usually doesn't see things like that. I also saw a wedding arch. As we headed back towards the city, he told me that he thought these woods must be especially enchanted and he didn't know why, but suddenly he was so hungry. I told him that that's what always happens to me after any kind of spiritual experience and it was interesting to see that he felt that way too. That was in October 2020 and it was the first time I'd ever experienced something just like that and I haven't ever had quite the same experience since. I felt like it was some kind of fae type spirit, although I'm not exactly sure which one. This was one of the most positive paranormal experiences I've had, and honestly, I'd be very curious to find out if I went back to the same area, if I would experience anything similar a second time. I'm endlessly fascinated by the way that witchcraft has kind of cycled in and out of popularity and is currently in this place of being both a very popular aesthetic and being seen as a genuine spiritual path. I follow a lot of artists on Instagram who make really gorgeous pieces dedicated to a witchy aesthetic, and often each piece is dedicated to a specific type of witch, like a water witch or a solar witch. This is also really fascinating to me because it's a relatively new phenomenon. Back when I was very first beginning to read witchcraft books, the types of witch you could be were usually associated with traditions like Wicca or Gardenerian witchcraft. 
There might be things like kitchen witchcraft described, but it was considered to be more like a kind of genre of magic and less like something you could personally identify yourself as. I think my first real exposure to the idea that you could be something like a fire witch or a green witch was on Pinterest because of course it was. I remember absolutely adoring these mood boards that people would make to encapsulate what a solar witch or a lunar witch or whatever was. This was probably around the same time that American Horror Story Coven came out because I can recall that being the thing that pushed a witchy aesthetic into mainstream fashion. And something that AHS Coven did was give every witch a talent and a very distinct style of dress. I also want to point out that although J.K. Rowling is persona non grata in this house, I did grow up reading Harry Potter and I kind of aged alongside the movies, so I was absolutely the target demographic for all the merchandise. And I think that some of the beginnings of choosing a type of witch to be, and of course an accompanying aesthetic, can be traced back to Harry Potter. A lot of fan art based on the series plays up the characteristics of each Hogwarts house, and I can't help but feel that high fashion mood boards dedicated to green witches or sea witches or whatever kind of witches are a kind of evolution of this. You start out with a collection of Slytherin merch and wind up making Pinterest boards dedicated to fashion, decor, and art meant to fit the image of a psychic witch. So just because I like the idea of the whole choosing a type of witch thing from an aesthetic point of view, is this actually necessary? And overall, no, I don't think it's necessary. But as someone who tends to be pretty critical of a lot of pop culture representations of witches, I actually really like the idea of being able to pick something to call yourself. Learning about witchcraft in the time before the internet became just a fact of everyday life and it was totally expected that whatever you want to learn, you can just find online, that wasn't all bad. But one of my least favorite things about that time was that if you wanted to learn about witchcraft, 99% of the time, you were going to be learning about Wicca. It may not have been called Wicca, but it sure was Wicca. This became so ubiquitous that it was very common to hear that real life witches were actually called Wiccans, when in reality, no, Wiccans are called Wiccans. But something that applying a label to your practice can do is to make it easier to determine if whatever resource you're looking at is something you actually want to bother with. If you're interested in plants and herbalism, using the title Green Witch can give you a search term and a couple keywords to find what you're actually looking for. There's a lot of information out there and not all of it will be for you, so it can make things easier if you can make an educated guess as to whether or not the book in your hands is something you might like. Going back to what I had said about the idea that all witches were Wiccans or that the words witch and Wiccan were interchangeable, I personally feel like not being able to adequately describe myself made it a lot harder to tell other people who I was or to even communicate with them about who they were. I remember back when I was very first trying to reach out and find some kind of spiritual community, I was added to a group chat on Instagram. I had been told it was for witches of any background, but at one point the admin of the group set the group name to Wiccans. I spoke up and basically said, I'm not Wiccan and I didn't realize this was a Wicca chat, but if it is, I understand if you prefer to keep it to Wiccans only. To which she replied that basically she didn't know that the term Wiccan didn't just apply to all witches. And of course, cue the stream of other people saying that they don't mind being called Wiccan. I don't necessarily think that my bad experience is indicative of every single other interaction, but I felt at the time that I wished I had some better way to describe myself, because maybe that would have given me more of a chance at finding people I could actually relate to. 
Although I think that labels can be limiting, I think in a situation like this, sometimes it's okay to have some kind of threshold or limiting factor. It's not that you shouldn't mingle with people who are interested in things outside of your scope of experience or personal interest. It's that we use language for a reason and being able to express yourself can make it so you find others who can share your common interests. Realistically, the conversation you have with someone who focuses mostly on the moon will be different than the conversation you have with someone who focuses mostly on herbalism. One isn't inherently better than the other, but one may be more what you're seeking than the other. And going deeper into the concept of titles you can choose to bestow upon yourself, I could talk for hours about the choice to adopt the label witch and how that might feel. The world of witchcraft is massive, and I know from experience that the choice to call yourself a witch can be intimidating. It's hard to gauge exactly when you are fully immersed enough to feel like you can truly own and embody the word. And that's exactly why I think it's so helpful to have the option to call yourself a witch in a way that focuses on the parts of your practice you feel comfortable with. If you're happy with your ability to use magic in your cooking, calling yourself a kitchen witch can allow you to take ownership of the skills you have without making you feel like you have to justify why you should be allowed to call yourself a witch. As an aside, the only thing you need to do to earn the title of witch is decide that you're a witch, but I understand that the way something feels and the way that it actually is don't always match up. I think it's easy to dismiss the idea of being a type of witch as something that's kind of shallow or not really in keeping with the spirit of modern witchcraft as a living tradition. But this isn't really about stereotyping yourself. It's about using language to express who you are and what you're about. And the thing about the word witch is that it's not actually sacrosanct. It's a relatively modern term, and historically people didn't call themselves witches to describe what they were doing spiritually. Modern witches have reclaimed the term, which was used to harm people that the powers that be decided were deserving of violence and oppression. So why not further reclaim that word by finding new ways to apply it to yourself? If you want to be a sea witch, why shouldn't you be? It's your word. Of course, I can't do this episode with talking about some specific types of witches. Some are the most common types you might come across, and some are just my favorites. I think the most obvious answer will be a denominational witch title. If you're a witch who is Wiccan or Strega or even specifically connected to a certain culture like a Celtic witch or a Norse witch, I think it's pretty natural to describe yourself that way. Kitchen witch is also a very popular term and is fairly self-explanatory. Basically, this is a witch who works their magic using whatever you'd normally find in a kitchen and often uses magic in cooking, cleaning, or other domestic activities. This can be a pretty broad category since a kitchen witch might also have a vegetable or herb garden, a hobby farm, or focus on other domestic activities like sewing or woodworking. I usually consider kitchen witch activities to be anything that could be considered domestic, and sometimes a kitchen witch might prefer the term hearth witch. Another broad category of witch is the green witch. This could be a witch that connects with plants through gardening, but it might also be someone who likes to work out in nature or someone who is an herbalist. I usually feel like there's some overlap between what a kitchen witch does and what a green witch does, since having a garden or your own apothecary is definitely domestic and also plant-focused. I want to point out that I often see the terms green witch and hedge witch conflated or used interchangeably, but they're actually quite different. Although what we think of as a hedge is a bush or a plant, the word hedge when used in witchcraft refers to the metaphysical hedge, which is the barrier between worlds. A hedge witch would be someone who can cross the hedge through astral travel or spirit flight. 
It's also pretty common for witches to feel very strongly tied to an element, and someone who does feel that elemental connection might call themselves something like a water witch or a fire witch. Basically, this means that this witch likes to work with that element in their craft and might favor spells and rituals that center on that. And now that I'm thinking about it, I've definitely heard of water witches and fire witches, and I feel like earth witches are kind of a given. But have I ever heard someone call themselves an air witch? But then I also don't know how you could work with the air since humans don't fly. If you're an air witch, let me know how you work with the air element. Another type of witch I frequently see are witches who identify themselves with the environment in which they like to practice. I'm thinking of sea witches, forest witches, desert witches, and so on. I really love this because I think it really adds context to your practice, and I think it's a good way to describe your witchcraft that centers on what's local for you. I personally love any kind of city witch or urban witch descriptions. I don't have a quaint pastoral nature space, so I love to tap into the energy of where I live and get so excited when I see other witches living a similar life. I also enjoy the concept of tech witches because I think that using technology, a thing we're all super connected to, really emphasizes how witchcraft is a living tradition. I think it's really cool when someone chooses to use all the modern conveniences and wonders of today to practice witchcraft. I've been seeing more and more people intentionally describe themselves as activist witches and I love this. I think that using witchcraft for a cause is a wonderful way to make the world a better place, and I also feel like archetypal witches give us so much material when we want to tap into our powers to use them for good. I have a lot of respect for anyone who puts their activism at the forefront of their magical path. I've seen a lot of witches also describe themselves based on their specific areas of interest, so you could be a tarot witch or an astrological witch, and I love this. I think it really personalizes the title witch and makes it about you and what you're truly passionate about. You know, I'm talking about all the different ways you can describe yourself as a witch, and honestly, I'm kind of at a loss for how I would describe myself. I always call myself an eclectic witch, but I've started dropping the eclectic more and more because I couldn't really figure out a difference in how I would define an eclectic witch and just a witch. I am interested in maybe trying out magical lifestyles that might be a little different from my own, so maybe that will be something for the future. And who knows, maybe I'll learn something new about my own spiritual identity. For this week's reading, I am treading the familiar ground of the Everyday Witch Tarot. I've used it several times on the podcast, and it's a favorite of mine. I use it often, and I felt like it fit the episode today really well. But because I'm using a familiar deck, I wanted to do something a little different, so today, instead of doing a single card reading, I will be drawing two cards and discussing the way the cards read together and talking about the connections between the two cards. I'm going into this with the mindset that this is a general reading and I'm kind of just seeing what happens. Our first card is the Page of Wands, and our second is the King of Pentacles. And is it just me, or do we get a lot of court cards here on this podcast? So, what jumps out at me first is that you have the least mature figure of the first suit, which is Wands, and the most mature figure of the last suit, which is Pentacles. So basically, this is kind of the beginning and the end of the courts, and of course this is tarot and everything is cyclical, so eventually this king will be reborn as this page. The Page of Wands represents the exploration of the self and one's inner drives, desires, and passions. 
Basically, if you're writing a book, this is the stage where maybe you write a few little snippets just for yourself, and doing so makes you realize that you want to be a writer. The King of Pentacles, on the other hand, has explored the self and the world, and now he's enjoying the benefits of the hard work. So if the page is you before you even write your first book, the king is you when you've become a household name and you know that you can write something and it will sell. I think it's interesting that having that security can give you more freedom to dip back into your inner self and explore the facets that maybe haven't yet been brought to the surface. And thus you turn back into the page of wands. So what should be the takeaway here? I can think of a few things, but what pops into my head first is that you shouldn't try to shove as many facets of yourself as possible into whatever it is that you're creating. Instead, choose something to highlight, then when it's time, dip back within and find something new to give the spotlight to. I'd also say that if you're just starting something new, you should stick with it because you might be surprised at where it'll take you. And with that, we are at the end of our time here in the Witch Hut. I've really enjoyed how the last two episodes were longer than what I had been putting out, and that's something that I want to keep doing. I haven't edited this yet, but I suspect it might be a little shorter than what I had hoped for, but maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. To be honest, the cataclysmic destruction of reproductive rights happened when I was half done with the script and it kind of took the wind out of my sails. I was tempted to scrap the whole thing and do something that would require less creative thinking. But to do that, I felt would be to do something that actually just required less of me. And I might not have wind in my sails, but I have breath in my body. And as long as I have breath in my body, I'm going to use that breath to talk about witchcraft and empowerment and all the things that matter to me. And if you're listening to this, I want you to know that you are seen and you are heard and I'm right there with you. You can keep up with The Witch Hut on Instagram at The Witch Hut Pod or follow me at Chelsea the Witch. Don't forget that if you're listening on Spotify, there is a super fun poll for you to answer. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and magical. 